On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, an in-depth conversation with the architect behind the Okotoks Dogs and Dogs Academy, John Arcandia, joins us. Welcome to episode 79 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. It is a baseball oasis, the crown jewel for the sport in Alberta. They instantly compare it to minor league facilities all across the U.S. But it's one thing to look good, it's another to play good. Since arriving in the community, the dogs, whether they be at the academy level or college, have not only been competitive, they've been championship caliber. And a lot of that comes from managing director John Urcandia, who was a key piece in bringing the dogs to Okotoks from Calgary. He's had a vision from the onset, but it's also one that evolves with the game. In this week's episode, we wanted to go a little deeper to get to the core of what drives John day in and day out, what it was like trying to build the program in the early days, and also what it's like to be John Arcandia when he steps into Seaman Stadium to a packed house, a dream that's become a reality. John, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Joe. I always ask this of players, so let's start from the beginning. When did that love affair with baseball begin for you? Well, I grew up in a little town called Trail, B.C., which is a famous hockey and sports town. So I can't remember how old I was. I would have been one and a half or two years old when my dad, who played baseball and then later uh, fastball, got me into the sport. I mean, we'd be hitting balls around the kitchen, and I had our younger brother, and the two of us kept playing. And then, um, you know, we went through the usual process back then. Trail had a very strong Little League program. And, um, and we played and, and, you know, teams from there have gone to Williamsport several times. Um, in my case, we lost in the final game to go to Williamsport twice when I was 11, when I was 12. So it just gives you an idea that there, I can't remember a time when I wasn't playing baseball in, um, in the summers and in the fall. And, and trail was crazy enough in terms of the sports background in that city that, they would work around hockey schedules and, and in my case later on basketball schedules in the winter to get guys in the gym working out and um, in baseball and staying sharp and, and you know playing, playing catch, throwing bullpens, uh, swinging the bat, all those kinds of things. So that went on basically since I was a you know a little guy and I so I I love the game, uh, love to play. Those were the great days when you, I mean. There wasn't a there wasn't a day that I wasn't playing baseball. To be honest with you, in my memory, I mean, we would um, all summer long we'd we'd play pickup games, and and if that didn't work, or our friends were grounded or doing something for throwing a baseball through a window or whatever happened, uh, my brother and I would play one on one games of baseball where we, where I'd be throwing tennis balls at him a hundred miles an hour from forty <laughs> feet or thirty feet, and he'd try to hit a home run, and you know, so. It kind of grew out of that, to be honest with you. So it's a, it was an early start, put it that way. And obviously really easy to pass along to your kids as well. Well, yeah. In, in my case, it was it was sort of a tragedy in the sense that, you know, we lost um, the boy's mother, my wife, when the boys were three and five. And so I was sort of a walking zombie for a long time. And I've told the story many times that I really re- discovered myself through the boys and through their love of baseball. And so with them, like with 
like as I described myself growing up. I mean, we were in the backyard playing wiffle balls, and they were hitting balls all over the place as young kids. I was like in sort of robot mode through a lot of that, I confess. But in, in time, sort of my own life came back to me overcoming that tragedy through their love of the sport. And um, and then as they get a little bit, got a little bit older and, you know, got into more organized games and leagues and that type of thing, you'd meet other kids that had similar love for the game and were dedicated, you know, wanted wanted more than the recreational kind of approaches allowed. And that's really part of how the dogs happen, to be honest with you. Is that what's at the heart of what drove you to create the program in the first place, first in Calgary and now obviously in Okotoks? Well, you know, we tell the story, and it's almost folklore right now. And as you know, Ian's writing a book about this because it is kind of a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids, you know, uh, were at a uh, Little League championship in Moose Jaw, when, um, which they lost. I forget if they were in the final, but they, they didn't win the tournament anyway. And we had some really good athletes on that team and, and uh, promising players. And we were sitting around and, you know, thinking about how are, the, how are these kids – uh, going to improve. And, and to me at that time, I mean, I had gone through the experience. I grew a trails like five miles from the border. I used to jog to the border. Mm-hmm. So we played a lot of games against Washington state teams and against teams from Idaho and that type of thing um, during our seasons. And so, so I had an idea that there's 400 million people south of the border that seem to like this game. And we live up here in a nor- more Northern climate with a lot less people. And if you want to compete with the, those kids down there, you're going to have to do more than play 20 games in May and June and then go on summer holidays. So that, that kind of became very clear to me at that tournament. And that's when the dogs really started. We came back, I believe that tournament would have been end of July, early August. And uh, my own kids would have been maybe 10 and 12 years old. And um, I got together with some like-minded people and we just said, let's, let's try something different and at that point, we had no idea where it would go. But I had experience with travel teams from, you know, in the States. I knew what that was about. I, I, I fully understood the concept of competition will make you better. And it was just a question of whether these kids were dedicated enough to do that at that early age. And as it turned out, they were. And then just we just uh, the dogs kind of grew out of the idea that uh, why should kids that are good athletes be restricted in their development? They aren't in hockey, and so why should they be in baseball? And and it's really behind that germ of an idea that the dog started. How important was it for you to see the program continue to grow year after year? Because I think some people in that same position might have gotten complacent simply by having a program. Well, you know me a little bit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. people who know me would know the answer to that question. And it lies in my sort of passion. And, you know, one thing about me is that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it w- right. And I'm not going to you know, stop short of the dedication of, of my effort to succeed in what that mission was. And so um, with the dogs, I was extremely determined once we decided this is what we wanted to do to make this. And I used to, I used to describe it this way. We had to make this a real in quotes, baseball program. There, there was too much uh, sort of non-real baseball going on in Calgary where and by that, I mean um, you're playing in a recreational league. You're, you try out to 20 kids, make an all-star team or whatever number. And there was a pretend aspect to how good you were. There was a pretend aspect to the level of the competition you were playing. 
it, it wasn't real in the context of the baseball world and, and how you judge and how you evaluate actual talent um, at that time. And, and mainly we're talking about the high school years now. And, and that just wasn't, we, I used to tell our coaches and, and I told myself when I started and I was you know, one of the coaches in the early days, I used to say, we got to look in the mirror. We can't bullshit ourselves. We have to turn over the small stones. Where are we failing? What are these kids missing out on in terms of the bigger picture of development? Why is why is that American team uh, treating this game like a track meet against us? How are they taking all those free bases? Why aren't we cutting them down? So you know we would we reduced our our uh, our approach to the minutia of the game, and uh, and the theory being that we knew we had good athletes on that original group. There was a lot of good. If you look at what those guys accomplished, it was incredible. But um, it really was on us. And I said, we've got to coach them in a way that they, their athleticism comes into play. And if we do that, then they can play against anybody because you're going to face aces down there. And, and we did all the time. And you're going to have to find ways to win. And the game won't be close if you don't play strong defense, if you don't uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. So it was that kind of approach that really sort of drove the dogs and, and it, it continues to this day. I mean, there's a real perfectionism to our approach. And it's, we take the development of our players extremely seriously. I mean, th- this isn't about money. This isn't about part-time jobs. This isn't about none of that. It's about strictly development and making the kid a better player. The Calgary to Okotoks move is well documented. So I wanted to ask you something different, but on the same lines. What had you convinced Okotoks was going to be the right move and the right vision? Well, I think you're right. It's documented. I've given podcasts before. Our, our battles with the independent teams and uh, teams that were in Calgary and, and ultimately went bankrupt and the city of Calgary that sort of uh, preferred them over, over us, um, that's, that's out there. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, uh, you know, I spent an off season. I gave notice that the dogs would be in a leave of absence when I couldn't get field time or commitment on field time from the group that was there. And we then went to work uh, at finding an appropriate location. Okotoks wasn't our first choice by any means. I never even thought about Okotoks. We were looking at a Calgary venue. And I went to, I met, you know, we had some heavy hitters involved and people that had the resources to make this happen. And we went, we met the mayor, we, you know, and ideally, I mean, we were all from Calgary. Mm -hmm. So I met, I met the mayor and we talked about the concept and the concept was simple. Give us the land show us a piece of dirt that's, you know, eight to 10 acres or whatever we need to build a baseball stadium. And here's a picture of what we'll build for you. And it was a picture of Siemens Stadium, basically what we did build. And I said, that's the deal. And we will operate it for you. We'll open it up to some other groups. Um, and, but that's the deal. And um, we, you know, we, we dinked around with those negotiations in particular in Calgary that didn't work. We had fairly positive discussions with Mount Royal University um, and in the end, they just didn't have the space to do this. And then we talked to the UFC. I talked to the Sutina Nation. So you get the idea. Mm-hmm. There were at least five or six places I went to. Uh, and, and mainly it, it, were, it was um, organizations or entities that had the land and that I saw some synergy. Uh, Sutina Nation, I thought they had lots of land. And this would be a great kind of showcase to what they were trying to do within their own community. And, you know, but it just didn't happen. To be honest with you, until Okotoks came came along, 
Um, nobody paid much attention to me when I said, give us the land and we'll build you this, this picture of a stadium. They, every, almost every of the discussions broke down when, you know, you, you, you go through a month or two of, of this kind of back and forth on possible locations. And they say, um, well, what is the price for an acre of land in that area? And I, you know, and I'd say, well, have you not listened to me? Cause I, the thing about my approach, Joe, is I'm more honest than a lot of people I'm mm-hmm. learning. I will lay it out and like it or don't like it. That's what I believe to be the truth. And I'll, and I'll tell the truth from the first meeting till I'm, I'm not doing a political exercise and this podcast won't be a political exercise. <laughs> um, you know, and you get branded you know, when you, when you think or talk that way, but I just, I don't have time for the sort of spinning of wheels that goes on when you sort of schmooze around, like there's a bottom line. I want to go from A to B and everything and move forward. And that's how we run our academy. But, but really uh, after probably after we'd been rejected in this concept for one reason or another, or I had rejected them because they didn't buy into uh, the principle right up front or, or eventually, uh, you know, we, we'd left all five of those ones I mentioned by the wayside. I got an email late at night from someone who had been the former, um, they called him Reeve then, but I guess that would be like the mayor of Okotoks. Mm -hmm. And he was an elderly gentleman, maybe 85 years old at the time. Uh, His name was Pothenroth, really a a good guy. Sent me an email saying, don't discount Okotoks. Have you considered Okotoks? And when the dogs youth team had been shut out of every facility in Calgary to, to practice and uh, you know, that had to play a hundred games on the road. At that time we'd gone to Okotoks and that was my only real knowledge of Okotoks. And we, we'd look for a field there. We, we tried everywhere within a 50, 60 mile radius, basically to find a place to play with that original group. And, um, and Okotoks never had anything at that time that really suited because they had, they had fields, but they weren't, they were either weren't, deep enough in the outfield and guys would be hitting balls into you know the church or somewhere so it, it really didn't work you could do some infield work and that type of thing on the fields but you couldn't really run full practices there so i had the, no real knowledge apart from that of what was in the community so we went down there and at that point um met the the current mayor at the time mayor, mayor McAlpine, became a real important part of this puzzle and he had a baseball background. He was actually from Saskatchewan, had played baseball, then fastball out there, loved the game, and had an understanding of his community and, and said, you know, this, this would really be a sort of a central gathering place for our town. We really want you guys to come here. So I delivered several PowerPoint presentations um, to the town council, and uh, but it was all very favorable right out of the chute in the sense that this was something they wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, the amazing part was they kept I kept getting questions from members of council saying, like, well, you know, why Okotoks? Why aren't you doing this in Calgary? And I'd say, well, you know, they don't they never got the concept of you give us the land. We'll build you this picture of a beautiful stadium. And they said, you mean you guys will pay all the capital costs of that stadium? And I said, yeah. And they well, what do you think that's going to be? You know, in the end, we're up to 22 million bucks now. But in, for the initial stadium, I was probably closer to $16 million. And um, they said, well, wow, that's a hell of an opportunity for our community. So th- that community and, and their leadership really got it right mm-hmm. away, and um, which was amazing because I was fairly worn out at that point. And, you know, I was, Don Seaman was, was the principal uh, donor. And Don, Don was more, 
focused on making this happen than I was uh, to be at that point. You know, I, Don didn't do any of the dirty work, mind you. I was out there getting <laughs> the bleeding noses, trying to talk to these groups into what a great thing this would be for their community. But, um, you know, Don kept saying this would be such a good thing. The dogs deserve this. I mean, these kids have worked so hard all these years and this would be wonderful for the community and all that type of thing, which I believed. But, you know, you just get beat up so many times. It's, it is wonderful, but if, if they don't want it, they don't want it. Mm-hmm. And so, but Okotoks made it very clear from the beginning, they wanted it. And um, we entered into sort of an arrangement and a partnership with them as to how this would happen. And, you know, put a shovel in the ground not that far after in terms of location. We, we did go through a minor hiccup there in terms of looking at two different locations. And we were happy with either. But we ended up with a better one, obviously. You've been there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of an ideal location. So that's that's how Okotoks happened. And, you know, the, um, just to give you, a, you know, a story uh, that highlights sort of the sense the community had. When we opened that stadium, um, we had a barbecue at that original Reeves house, uh, Mr. Poffinroth's house that first weekend when all the kids had arrived from the States and were playing and, and that type of thing. And we had various people involved with the dogs and the community were there. There were probably 40, 50 people there. And he made a short little speech about how happy he was that the dogs had, had come to Okotoks and built this incredible facility. And he said, um, his comment was that I've quoted many times was, you know, John, I, I knew that this was going to be great for the town of Okotoks. We, you know, we look at the big city down the road. We we think we've got our own identity. You know, we've got our hockey team, he said. But this was going to be sort of the centerpiece of what Okotoks could be. And this would be pride of community. And he said, um, I didn't really, I knew that would happen. He said, I just had no idea as to the extent that that would be true until I saw those kids running the bases that opening night uh, at the end of the game with Diggity Dog, with the mascot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there were probably 400 kids running the bases, and you've been there, so you've seen what goes on. And uh, his, his he went on to explain that in his mind, those kids are going to grow up to love the sport, to, to do healthy things, to maybe be dogs themselves, to go watch games. Their parents would be energized. It would be a healthy thing in terms of, um, the types of things you do in a community for the summer. And so it, it just fed off itself. And, and that story is sort of symbolic of how Okotoks embraced this. And it, it continues to this day. Has that aspect of things surprised you at all? I would not say I envisioned that from the beginning. You know, I envisioned the program. Like I was a baseball person approaching mm-hmm. this. So I was I was all about getting facilities to make kids better. That's all I was focused on. Whether the people came out to watch was not motivating to me at all. Um, so uh, I was I was shocked, though, as time went on. Like, well, it started right at the very beginning. And, you know, when, uh, when we had a bet among the directors of the dogs at that time as to how many people were going to show up opening night, my bet was 400 people. And um, our most optimistic person, I think, guessed the thousand. And we had 2,500 opening night. It has gone up ever since. So, yes, I was shocked. And part of it was I was a bit bruised <laughs> from all the battles I'd been through. Like, mm-hmm. people dis- people don't understand, and especially Calgary people. They say, oh, John's whining again about the Vipers or the other ones that were there. I forget their names or the city of Calgary. But they don't understand, you know, like, in the sense that, I had this vision and passion for this for, for this opportunity to create this program. And 
there was nothing but impossible roadblocks thrown in our way. And it was so, if, if you're, you know, I was like the, that battery car that just kept pounding into walls everywhere <laughs> I went. And it was just so, you know, uh, and you're trying to do something good, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not, I, I never sort of looked down my nose at the other uh, recreational programs or that type of thing, you know, that's fine. But I thought there was room for a more elite program. And how is that a problem in a city the size of Calgary? And, you know, it's freedom of choice. I went through battles with people who said, what you're doing is illegal. And, you know, there should be an injunction against you doing this and all this kind of stuff. And, and then, um, you know, and then and just finding the location for the stadium, the, the just constant presentation and, and sort of hole picking at what we were doing. And it, it, it was it was a very frustrating exercise. So that that kind of made me I was a bit carrying a lot of weight around at that time, like, uh, you know, symbolic weight. And uh, so when this thing opened up and became not only um, you know, what I visualized from a baseball perspective, but also became way more than I'd ever imagined from a community perspective, that was very energizing. And so we got back on track and all that kind of mojo or whatever resurfaced. And and then we saw further and better ways to make this an even better experience for at every level. Do you find yourself pinching yourself when you head into work or you go into a game or to the academy? Is it hard to believe that it's become not only a cornerstone for Okotoks, but for Southern Alberta? I don't know why you limit it to Southern Alberta, but um, <laughs> catch my drift. Um, I, we think we are a cornerstone of youth development in the country, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you look at our facilities and our program in terms of the breadth and depth of our coaching, I think we match up. We more than match up against anybody, to be honest with you. And I do I do find it very gratifying and I do sometimes pitch my pinch myself in the sense that um, what we can do and, and how dedicated our coaches can be to make kids better in this sort of program we've created and, and, and sort of the facilities we made available for them is, is quite phenomenal. And, and that I have a lot of pride with that. And, and for example, if you ever talk to one of our coaches and they, and say, um, you know, what kind of pushback do you get from John when you need the latest technology or when you need, you know, um, baseball, anything baseball related? You know, I'm I'm a blank check when it comes to that kind of stuff, just because it, it, it's it's not I'm not into buying fancy bags. And I've had this out with some parents that come and say, oh, you know, they and they get into it and they're, you know, they're good people. Uh, but their idea, it's kind of like the the little league idea or whatever, you know, you've got to have your picture taken with the team and you go, everybody goes and buys a picture and you get a new bag every year so that you walk around with this bag or you get a new jacket or whatever. It's, it's not that about that for me. It's about the baseball and about getting better at baseball. So I, I don't like buying a bunch of new bags to spoil the kids to look like they're big shots or pretend that they're something. I I just want real baseball development. I want them to get better. So I'll put that money into a better coach or another coach or Rapsodo in, you know, in the current kind of technology world, um, another batting cage. That's, that's where my focus is. So, um, and that, that's never changed. And there's probably been um, a bit of a modification when it comes to the college team about things like that, because the same, I, I took the same passion when I started the college team in Calgary, the summer collegiate team, as I had the youth program. And, 
the original summer collegiate team was made up of a lot of dogs that had come through the youth program. And so, and their friends uh, from the universities they were all playing at. So, you know, they, they knew some of that, but I mean, you know, the, the chicken flown the coop, you know, they all had their own programs and everything else. So I got to back off a lot, but nowadays with, with, it's a whole different world with summer collegiate athletes, with the coaches of colleges, they have a different approach. Uh, you know, so I have, have sort of um, where, where I would have been way more focused on the summer development of the players, or at least the opportunity we offered them to develop in the summer and making sure all the systems were a go. And, and we still do that if mm-hmm. they, what they need, but their demands now are much different than they were then there. You know, it's, a, it's summer is a bit more of a break for them than it used to be. And their coaches are a little more um, careful about, uh, how many innings they play, even for position players. I, you know, and I fully understand this when it comes to pitching. But you know, and so mm-hmm. because of that, we've never overused our pitching in the summer college side. But, but there's there's a way less of a demand to even play summer baseball than there used to be. I mean, it, it used to be the coaches sending you out and adamant that you were going to get 200 at bats in the summer, or you were going to throw 50 innings in the summer and come back in the fall good to go for their college team. It's not like that anymore. You know, it's a much different uh, set of rules when it comes to utilizing college players. But, you know, if you look at what, what they're offered when they come to our place, I mean, they've got a state-of-the-art weight room, which is very baseball-specific in terms of what's available to work on. They've got coaches if they need to work on their hitting. They've got all kinds of pitching coaches there that can help them if they're if they're working on their pitching. But in in all those respects, when it comes to the summer college team, you're all you've got to be very very even even with four coaches that we have on that team, you got to be very very careful about what you're telling a player from another program or another team, another college team, because um, you just can't be telling them anything inconsistent with what their coach wants them to work on. And you can't presume anything. You know, if you get you get a set of criteria from that college coach, that's it. Uh, those are those are the parameters of their use. We want him to throw relief only, and 20 innings. Okay, that's what you got. If you don't if you don't like that, don't take them. And I don't know for whatever reason the other teams in our league don't seem to have those kind of rules thrust on them. But but us who who probably are, are the team that least overuses our players because we bring in a full roster. Um, we we run into that quite a bit, and so you you may have noticed that we kind of run through. We probably have we're like the Yankees were last year in the sense <laughs> of you've got a rotating roster. You start out with twenty eight or thirty mm-hmm. players. Next thing you know, you've had on your team if you make a list forty five players over the course of the summer. It's kind of ridiculous, but anyway, uh, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's I do. Uh, I don't, if I had time to congratulate myself, I probably would, <laughs> but I, I don't think that way. <laughs> to your point about being the gem of Canada baseball is you're able to bring in kids from coast to coast to coast in this country. And I'm curious, what do you think sets the Okotoks Dogs program, the Dogs Academy program, apart from others across this country? It's the same thing, that, the same formula that's been there from the beginning which is um, the deeper, uh, broader, better coaching. Because we have, co- we, have, you know, we have 14 coaches down there full-time who can work with youth players. 
Um, so that's that's a very important criteria. Secondly, it's the facilities, which um, we that was the missing ingredient for us until we built Siemens Stadium and that complex down there. But our facilities have everything a coach could possibly want or a player could possibly want to get better. And because of that facility is essentially a dog's facility, they can it's a revolving door. They can go in there and work out with a coach anytime they want. Imagine the idea. Like I think back and, you know, I, I gave you some idea of what it was like in trail. I'm just so happy that because I always liked to play. I'd have played, you know, whenever. But, you know, I just come home from hockey practice or a hockey rep game or something like that. And I'd have a dedicated uh, coach or we'd had, you know, there were a couple of guys there that were scouts who would work out with players in the winter and he'd be phony and saying, I'm going to come back. I got four kids. We can go into the gym and work out today. Are you up for it? So, but you had that motivation guys doing it Well, here, you know, we've got facilities where you can go anytime and you can go down there and say, okay, I want to work on hitting. Who's my best. Who's the guy I get along with most or offering the most right now from a hitting coach perspective. And it might be Tyler Hollick or it might be Brett Guthrow or maybe somebody else. And then, um, and you go and you can do one on one. You can do it all day. And then, you know, that's and that's apart from your daily routines and practices that you have as a group. So that's a huge advantage. So, you know, and then you've got so so I talked about you've got the you've got the coaching, you've got the facilities and the sort of the ability to access them whenever you want. And then you've got the competition. And we we've had we always had very strong competition it goes back to my idea of looking in the mirror and turning over the small rocks um i didn't see the point of playing a recreational uh, schedule and playing teams and then having also it was always we were going to play the best teams we could possibly play luckily from my own experience i knew people that were involved in baseball back in bc firstly and then in the states and it went from went from there like from them to their contacts and and so we ended up invited to the original dogs to all kinds of tournaments and bear in mind this is this is part of the strength of the original dogs and i i honestly believe part of why that that original group got to be such good players and then to a degree developed a bit of a chip on their shoulder which motivated them a bit was they had nowhere to play they were they could literally not play in the city Mm-hmm. so we probably played five games in the city and so we were on the road we had and, and i did the schedule back then so i was on the phone uh finding tournaments and i'd be talking to my friends about uh, at that point a, a good friend of mine who was um he's actually a left-handed catcher when i pitched back home uh he'd become the president of um baseball bc and so at that time he went on to become the athletic director at lewis clark state college and he was a pitching coach there for many years and uh, as well as washington state but anyway i i I would i'd use guys like him that's just one example and he would hook me up he'd say there's a really good tournament up in revelstoke you should go to that tournament and play and we'd go to that tournament there's a really good tournament victorious for that tournament there's that and through these travels and tournaments you meet others and bc was ahead of alberta by about a thousand miles at that time because they had blown up the concept of uh, the kids on this street play may and june and then you have an all-star team of the kids on the other street you know all these Mm -hmm. territorial boundaries and rules and like we were the dogs the dog's kind of program vision was we don't have rules like that. You know, it's whoever wants to play and whoever's good enough to play. And so the competition we, we, we've always sort of focused on, on getting the best competition. And over time it got easier and easier because of how good the players were. 
I mean, uh, Blair Kubitschek from the Dogs Hall of Fame. He, you know, he was the the original coach and really the the guru. He was sort of a mastermind behind the Prairie Baseball Academy. And mm-hmm. the reason he's in the our our own Okotoks Dogs Hall of Fame is, is several reasons. But the main one was he would play us. We would take our youth team down and play his college team. And and then when we were good enough, he'd see how good these kids were. And he didn't get any of these kids. Well, he got a few probably, but because they went past his program and they went to bigger schools in the States on bigger scholarships. So he was doing this out of an understanding of sort of the um, baseball development model and program. And and he is another person uh, who hooked us up with uh, international scout in um, in. in in Arizona, who then got us into showcase events down there. And, and all of these things were predicated on performance. And the kids didn't know that, but they performed. And that's why we kept getting these invitations and we kept going. And so, uh, and it, it was done at, you know, a sort of a, a very little cost to the kids. Like this, we, we basically subsidized this program because we believed in it. And we had a rule then that if a guy was a good enough player, he was going to he could contribute what he was able to contribute, uh, but he wasn't going to be denied playing an elite program because he didn't have the money. And so that was that enabled us to access better and better and better competition. And right now, um, the dogs, our, our top teams play a very high level of competition. Mm-hmm. And that's if you look at the if you ever look at the our uh, top academy team and where they play in the last few years, you'll see they're at showcase to showcase. I mean, um, when, when, um, our original dogs were playing at a tournament in Cocoa beach, Florida, way down, way back when, and, um, they, it was a great showing. We were playing some of the top youth teams in the States. It was a, I think it was a, a 16 under, uh, no, it was an 18 and under tournament, but we were mostly, um, between we were between 15 and 17 so we were really young but we got to the final losing in the end to an orlando team that was just stacked with uh guys that got drafted the following year and you know again people saw what we were doing and it would encourage us and so uh you know at that that type of tournament you you start to build on things like that and our current team um our current team is was last year i mean they were ranked third in north america in terms of these elite travel teams Mm -hmm. there was not one other one other canadian team listed on this top 10 list and it's a very independent nothing to do with uh, i mean you don't pay we never paid anybody for this ranking we just performed at tournaments and it's incredible and i it really hit me when i saw that East Cobb, Georgia, which is a famous uh, baseball factory down in the Atlanta area, producing Division One talent and and pro players. I mean, I think um, the, you know that's kind of the programs that all. If you go and Google them, you'll see who's come out of that program. And we played them. I remember back uh, when when I was involved in coaching this team down in uh, in Cocoa Beach. Uh, they were that was an elite. And so then when I saw them, I said, "No, we got to model ourselves after them." They had two teams that could beat anybody. They had a they had a sort of a 17U team and an 18U team, and they were both well coached, excellent, excellent talent athletes. And so that was really motivating. And then when I see this last year, we were ranked ahead of them, or um, we were, we shared. We were both mm-hmm. ranked in the top top five anyway i mean i was really proud of that achievement uh, from that and it's all a pyramid down in you know down at um Siemens stadium in the sense that you you work your way up and when you play on that top team 
um, you're getting exposed. But if you're, it's important to play. So if you um, if you're not quite ready for that and you play on the second team, you're going to get exposed there too. So anyway, that's that's kind of the model and, and how it's worked well for us. You mentioned the word pride, and I wanted to ask that question as well, is what are you most proud of as you look over what has been accomplished with your respective programs? Um, honestly, I think I'm most proud of the fact that we, we have succeeded in offering um, that development model that we started out with. That, the competition, the facilities now, which we never had, and the coaching that that I think will enable kids to get better. Like I just, I am constantly astounded at, at why anybody, especially Calgary kids uh, would go anywhere else than, than Okotoks because you've just got all of the things that are fundamental. It's not that you can, my, uh, Mike Soroka, you know, he's been down, was down in the off season, our facilities, you know, some of our guys that turned pro Mike never came down there, but Mike was sort of a special player in Calgary who worked with Chris Reitzma. You know, he didn't really play a lot of, you know, he played against our guys. He was probably at one fifth of the games, you know, if that, you know, he wasn't, he's a specialty case, but what we were always wanting to create was that, college college level athlete that could play baseball on both sides of the border with anybody and you know the elite players will come out of that program and they'll do better because they've got all these facilities and and coaching to get them better but it was never about that one elite player you know jim henderson came through our program and and went to the major leagues and pitched for um three teams up there but you know jim was just one guy out of several who, you know, used and benefited from our program and making him better. And it, it originally it made him good enough to get a scholarship to a junior college. And then uh, with talent and, and persistence, love of the game, he, he got a uh, scholarship to a four-year school. And then again, with that talent at that point, he gets drafted and right out of our outfield on the summer college dogs and on he goes. So, you know, you, you can't just gear towards one player. So I'm talking about sort of the Calgary model. And uh, there's a, for, for kids that are in, in Calgary, I'm, I'm always amazed. It's, it's one thing if you're Mike Soroka, because you might get somewhere without the benefit of all these you know, facilities and coaching. Mike had all that, but he had it one on one, basically. Mm-hmm. But your average, you, you know, your above average player that wants to play at college and be a good player. I just don't get it. I don't get how you could look at it. I mean, I had two kids back in those days, and the dogs are partly there because I went and looked at the options. I And I had some baseball background, unlike everybody who was coaching at that time. But, you know, you, you look at what's available, and is, your, is, is this going to give the kid the best opportunity to develop? I mean, you got to be real. And, you know, I get back to that word again. So I guess for me, my pride is that kids can go down there and get as good training as they can get anywhere in the United States and be the best that they can be. And for some kids, that means getting drafted, like, you know, Matt Lloyd was drafted. Several of our guys have been drafted. Uh, but for most of them, it means being able to go to a college and perform and have that opportunity and, and make what they can of it. Um, so that's where I think, and you notice when I talk about pride and all of this, I'm mostly talking about the baseball side of the development side, which is really where most of my pride comes from. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm proud of the college dogs. I love the facility. 
I, um, you know, it's so much fun. It's, it's part, I'm really proud to be part of that whole deal and the fun in the community of, of the watching these college kids play baseball. But I mean, the impact for me that is probably at the top of the food chain in terms of my goals is what we do without Academy and what's offered to uh, players starting at age 13 who want to get to be better. Now, I know you've got some big plans for uh, expansion over at Seaman. I know that you're always looking at tweaking and making things better. So my final question is, as you maybe bring out your crystal ball and you look ahead to the next 10 years, next 20 years, how are you going to define success? How are you going to look at the next 10 years and go, this is where we were able to grow the game and really grow the brand of Oak Tokes Dogs Baseball and Dogs Academy Baseball? Well, to be honest with you, um, I don't. I think we've arrived. I'm happy with where we arrived at. The in terms of facilities, we're just fine tuning the facilities based largely on um, the crowds. We um, last last couple of years we've done things. We've added new seating section. We, you know, we added washrooms, did different things. This year we're adding sort of an iconic new hospitality patio visitors clubhouse and one of the a perch on top of the visitors clubhouse down on left field which i think fans will really appreciate mm-hmm. but that all came about because i just i realized that you know we had five thousand fans there on canada day we've had that every every candidate for the last several years and i said you know people eventually this is fun everybody has a good time down here but eventually they're going to say you know i'm sick of being crammed in here like a sardine <laughs> so you look at that, and so you you tinker, you you add things in that sense to make it um, the fan experience. That was always when we designed that stadium. We had two things in mind. First priority was player friendly, and that was the number one priority. Second to that was fan friendly, and that was the number two priority. That's that's stays the, that's the case to today. So, but in terms of defining success, um, we already will do whatever we have to do on the development side to make kids better. If that means if I get told by our coaches, we need some equipment that we don't currently have, we will get that equipment. If it means, you know, new treadmills or, you know, another set of weights, all we'll get all that. If it means we need another, another coach to work with somebody in a specific area, we'll get that. So that that's a non-issue that that's going to happen anyway. I think the evolution will be, more in, in with little things like, for example, uh, I really like, I would like to add a few lights to our Bantam field so that they can play at night and play night games on our Bantam field. Right now, if they want to play night games, they have to play in, on our second stadium terminal line, which is re- <laughs> no real punishment. Mm-hmm. But I just think it, it you know, it adds to uh, the more, more fields available for a longer day, the more you can do. So it's just a, that's just on my wish list as well. So, but apart from that, I mean, we, we, I feel like we've arrived. I, I have to say I am a little, and I've I kind of alluded to this before. I'm a little surprised it in some senses, you know, I live in Calgary. I've always lived in Calgary. The dog started in Calgary. You know, I love Calgary. Calgary has been a good town to grow up in for myself, my kids and all that kind of stuff. But I, am, I get a sense sometimes and I don't know whether it's um, just how extraordinary or, or the phenomenon that what's going on in Okotoks. I do get the sense sometimes that people kind of put their hands up and, oh, there's a stadium, there's a facility in Okotoks. So what's that, that like? You know, it's when I think back to the earlier days when we started the dogs and we're driving 
to every Tom, Dick, and Harry town all over Alberta to try and find a field to practice on to drive 20, 20 miles or whatever it is, or, or 15 miles south to have the benefits of that Siemens Stadium complex and all it offers is nothing. And so I do find acceptance in Calgary hasn't been easy. There's been, there's been clear acceptance, I think, for the college team to a, to a great degree as entertainment. Uh, and you know, we had Stellar Algo, a business marketing firm um, based in Calgary, do a marketing study. And um, we're averaging somewhere close to 2,000 fans a game just from Calgary. Mm-hmm. So Calgary's discovered the summer collegiate dogs, there's no question. But I think there's really a battle. And I think there's a lot of ongoing. I'm disappointed by the level of jealousies and things that are still surrounding um, sort of the development team. I, I just, I have never understood, you know, my joke, Joe, I don't know if I shared it with you before is, you know, we started the first essential Academy and the dogs, original team was an Academy and it's first Academy. Now, now Alberta has more academies than they have baseball players. That's my <laughs> joke, but it's, I, I, that's the part that I would like to build on, you know, more trust in terms of the, the development model, why it's different, why it's the right thing for some players in the greater Calgary area than others. And it's just a matter of sort of the knowledge of what's being offered. And um, so I, I think that's something I'd like to focus on a little bit going forward. I don't know if we'll ever achieve that because you do get a lot of misinformation traveling around about what the program's like and, and that type of thing. But um, I would like to that level of acceptance as an outlet, as an option. Like, like I go back to the beginning. Why shouldn't, you know, good players that want to dedicate more of their time and effort? Why shouldn't they have the most you know, advanced elite program available to them? Why is that something wrong? And to me, um, you know, if I'm, when I look back, I'm not kidding you. I went and I looked at Babe Ruth and I looked at different organizations for my own children growing up. What's it going to be like? What do they offer in terms of development opportunities? And I think I, people should shop and see what's best. It's not for everybody. I'll be the first mm-hmm. to say that. But I, I would like to sort of um, reach a level of sort of uh, acceptance or understanding in terms of the differences between what we offer, what others offer, because I think some kids get, they, they, you know, they, they miss out on the opportunity. It really is a success story in our province, in our country, and we're glad we were able to share some of your insights behind it, John. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and, of course, continued success with the programs in Okotoks. Joe, don't forget your buddy Ian Wilson's writing a book about the dogs. You should give him a, uh, a plug. But anyway, thank you, and, and I really am... Um, thankful for what Alberta Douglas stories has done for baseball in the province, promoting it at all levels. It's uh, I, uh, I loved what uh, Bob Elliott, my friend, uh, the hall of famer has done um, on the national level. And I really think it's just wonderful. Uh, more information about the successes of kids in this sport uh, is only a good thing. And, and you guys have in a short time become a huge part of the sort of grassroots landscape. Um, of baseball in, in this province in particular. It's, it's a great thing. So I really uh, applaud what you guys are doing. Keep up the good work.
Thanks again to John Arcandia for joining us this week. And as always, thanks to you for downloading and listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Next week, we'll focus in on the Alberta teams who are hoping to make a run in the Canadian College Baseball Conference. Until then, thanks again for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.